We are excited for that. Hosea chapter 1. Last week we um, laid down introduction, kind of talked to give a little overview of the book, and now we're ready to dig in a little bit. Hosea, just as a reminder, his name means salvation. It's uh, Joshua's kind of the same version of the name. It's also Yeshua, which is Jesus, salvation. First one says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. I'm an Isaiah. That's not Hosea. I'm like, that's the wrong guy. That's not even his dad. All right, now, let's make more sense. <laughs> the word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Beri. That makes more sense. Uh, in the day of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, uh, kings of Judah. In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Hosea means salvation. He is the son of Beri. His name means my well or belonging to a fountain. So I don't know if he had a lot of kids or what. Um, but this first verse kind of sets a time for us. It's the setting. You know, if you're going to tell a story, it's in, it's in the setting. So he's given us the setting. And uh, sadly, it doesn't mean much to us. Yeah, there's a bunch of names we don't know and understand. <laughs> like, I don't know. He's around somewhere. But it lists five kings. It lists four from Judah, or the southern kingdom, and then one from the northern kingdom. And so the four from the southern kingdom are uh, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We, we recognize a few of those. And then it lists uh, Jeroboam, uh, the son of Joash, as the king of Israel. So that's the, that's the northern kingdom, or the bad guys. And so the southern kingdom are the good guys, and the northern kingdom are more the bad guys. And so we think uh, that it's listed this way because there should have been more kings listed during this time frame uh, for the northern kingdom, but it only lists the one, Jeroboam, because he's kind of like beginning of the problem. But it lists more for Judah because... It's just giving a nod to the Messianic line. It's just letting us know that the line continues, that Judah, God's plan is going forth. You know, it's, uh, judgment's coming on them later, but it's just kind of reminding us that uh, you know, Judah is the one that we root for at this point, point in time. So it's just basically noting the Messianic line. So that's the setting. And roughly what it tells us is this is before the fall of the kingdoms, both of them. And they are about... I'm going to say 100 years, but apart. One falls before the other, but I'm, I'm not exact on that date, so I should, shouldn't say anything. But So we're in the warnings of the last days are coming. You know, the, the, the nation's about to be judged. And God sends a prophet. And that's usually how it is. When a country's doing bad, and the nation's in turmoil, when you have a bad rulers, that's when God sends voices, warns. Because God's compassionate. God's loving. He's like, you're on a bad path. I've got to send somebody to warn you. That's kind of our job, right, as Christians. But we're to be that mouthpiece in the world. To let them know, it's like, you might be a good person uh, and all outside the things, but if you don't repent and trust in Christ, you're on a dangerous path. It's going to lead to destruction. So we're to be that prophet, that mouthpiece. And that way, we're to be the voice out there telling them destruction's ahead. You need to examine yourself and make sure you're on the right path. So that's what Hosea is. Verse 2 says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed a great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So this is the beginning. Um, and, and I like that 
I like that it starts out and tells us this is the beginning. So it's chronological because you have a lot of people who want to study and jump everywhere and say, no, timelines don't mean anything and numbers don't mean anything. It can all be anywhere and everywhere. Hosea tells us right at the beginning. We're almost talking sorry, at the beginning and then we're going to kind of go chronological. So this is the first thing that Hosea did, which helps me form a picture in my mind. I'm very visual when I read. I paint the whole movie. I've got the whole set and the scenario in my head. And uh, I'm still working on Hosea's face. Uh, but uh, there's, that's the way it is. And I read it, and it'll come back to that same thing every time when I do it. So the first thing Hosea did, it says, is to take a wife of whoredoms. It's family night here at Cornerstone, so we're going to talk about whoredoms. Whoredoms, whoredoms, there in that verse, I don't know how many times. Uh, and whoredoms means adultery, fornication, and prostitution. So all the things you like to talk about in a mixed group, and uh, the different ages, but fortunately. Harlotry, there you go, the same thing. So some of them, it's still... Uh, one of the reasons I like King James 1 is what I've always studied and always known, but it can also talk about crude things in, a, in not in a crude way. You know? And so it, it uses, we, we can, oh, that's, a pretty, that's a pretty good insult word if you lay it on a lady, but yeah, but, so, um, but we need to look at this as it's more. I mean, this, that's what she is, and that's what she does, but it's in the Bible here, and it's a deeper picture than that. It's not just, oh, She's an adulteress, or she's a harlot. In the Bible, whoredoms is an image of, uh, well, not only just that, but uh, whoredoms, adultery, fornication, idolatry, all that are a picture of idolatry. You know, it's just showing that they are unfaithful. That's the main thing. It's like, oh, God's way is to be faithful. I am faithful to you. We are betrothed one to another. I have you as a people. You have me as your God. We will be faithful. He says, I'm going to use idolatry as a picture, and this family as a picture. But you're not faithful. You're an adulteress in this way. You're a harlot. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the, the root word of all that um, means a marsh. Uh, we don't have any marshes around here anymore. We used to. Indiana had a lot of wet ground. We had invented this thing called field tile, right, Bill? You know, so we put a field tile, and that would drain the field, and that makes it plantable. You know, so that's why we have retention ponds everywhere. If not, it was marshy ground. Um, on the end of the road that we grew up on, there were woods down there that were pretty marshy. I mean, there's a lot of times as kids, we love woods. We love going in the woods. We couldn't keep us out of the woods. We didn't go in those woods because they were nasty to walk around in because they were marshy and wet and buggy, and like we didn't want to be in there. Um, and this word for hoarding means a marsh, a marshy place, a stinking place. I'll tell you this, in my experience with muddy, marshy areas, when you stick your boot down in there, and by the time you pull your leg back up, it stinks. Because <laughs> that's everything rotten that's been trapped in there that can't get away. Whether it be critters and leaves and everything you know, in the water, it's, all, it's, a, it's a stinking, rotten thing. And oh, if you're like, oh, now it's all over my boot, it's, usually, it's not a normal mud either. You can't get it off easy. You know, it's like that black, nasty, you know, and you're, you're trying to get it off. All the guys in here are like, yeah, we all played in the nasty mud. We know. <laughs> so we know it's like it smells, it smells bad. Um, it, it'll discolor your hand for a little while. You know, it, it sticks to you. The smell sticks to you. Even after you go home and you put your hand in Dawn and everything else, you wash it, it's still there. You know, you can't get rid of it. God's like, yeah, that's adultery. You think it's, oh, you're just going to go do that. You're going to play the harlot. It sticks to you. It stinks. It's nasty. It comes up before me that way. I don't like it. So God's very visual in his imagery. God also, in his wisdom, uses the family as a picture. That's why the family is such a thing that is under attack. 
the family is a picture of the Trinity. How does the Trinity work? I mean, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all three God, and yet God the Father is not the Son nor the Holy Spirit, and God the Son is not God the Father or the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not Jesus Christ or uh, God the Father, and yet they're all three separate and all three one. But I can grasp a little bit because I understand how family is. I had a, God put me in a family where I had a mom and a dad and brothers and sisters. So I understand the, the power structure kind of being divided. There's mom and there's dad. You know, there's one that was maybe a little harsher and one was a little kinder, depending on the topic. It's like, you know, depending on what I want to do, it depends on who I would ask. You know, it's like, oh, I think dad might let me, mom might not. You know, so, and we kind of have that. And, then, and yet there's other times when like, did you talk to your mom? Did you talk to your dad? You know, it all becomes this, they're unified front sometimes too. No, we've decided as a family, you don't do that. Or we are going to do this. And so we have a little picture of that. You know, the father... The mother and the child is a little bit like the Trinity. You know, it's a, a veiled picture, but it's there. It's, uh, God's family is a picture of love, how love works. How people sacrifice their time and their effort and their energy, who do without so that their children have, who sacrifice for that, who work to, you know, to buy and provide for them, you know, and to have, have them appreciate that. The family is a picture of support, you know, where one supports one another. When one's having a bad day, the others pick them up. You know, when one's uh, having, uh, having success, others rejoice with them. You know, you kind of have that. It's a, it's a family. You know, it's a family. It's, we, we, we cry together. We just stand beside each other. We lift one another up. You know, we all have our strong days, weak days. We're there just for support. It's a place of care. And you learn that as a place that you can go, that you'll be safe in your family, right? It's, like, it's your family. They'll care for you. You can always go back to them. You can always come to them. Family loves you. It is unconditional love. You're a family. It's a place of safety, a place where you can go and be safe. It's a place where you can go and be you because they've known you, right? They've known you since day one. You're not going to surprise them with too much. No wonder it's all under attack. No wonder God wants it to be the steady picture to help us understand and, and picture him and his hierarchy and how things work. No wonder Satan likes to come down and muddy the picture and mess it all up and switch it all around and mess up the power and mess up the love and the care and make it a thing of something that you hate and despise you don't want to run to so you won't run to God and so he muddies it up, makes it marshy in that way. It's an attack on God. And so God's like, I need you to be a picture of what's going on here, Hosea. I'm going to take my prophet, you, my spokesman, and you're going to marry somebody unfaithful. Because that's my, that's my relationship with you, with Israel. So, man, imagine that. You know, as, as your life's call. Oh, I'm going to be a prophet of God. What's he called you to do? To marry a whore. <laughs> and then she's not going to be faithful. And it's going to break my heart time and again. That's what he, God calls him to. Uh, was she like this before they married? That's my question. You know, there's a lot of people that debate about this. A lot of people try to argue and get God off the hook. God would surely not do that. This is just a story. It's a real story. You know, it's not just a parable. It's not something that's made up. You can tell by the imagery and how it's said. This proves the point. You know, he's to live this in front of people. Uh, was she this way in her character before? Seems like it. Seems like she had a reputation. Maybe it's a girl that he's known. Maybe it's a girl that Jose has known. Uh, maybe it's a girl he's always kind of liked. Maybe it's even a girl he kind of loved. You know? I'm speculating. But Hosea might have been praying for her. You know, he's a man of God. 
He's a good guy, right? He's the one who's close with God. And what would God have us do if we saw someone struggling and making bad decisions in your life? Wouldn't you intercede and pray for them? We do here, right, before Wednesday night. We pray for one another. We lift up people in our family that are struggling, going through hard things. Hosea prayed for her. Maybe he'd ask God to reach her. God, would you show your love to her? That she's not ruined her life by this thing that she did? Maybe. Maybe he thought he could help her. Some people are that way, right? You know, in the sense that, oh, I can rescue her in, in, in this way. And people need rescuing. That's a true thing. And, you know, so maybe he's that way. Maybe she'd messed up and the town knew it and her family was all shamed, you know, and especially in their culture. Like, Look at her. Look what she, everybody knows. And she doesn't seem to care. And, or maybe she came to him and they were friends and he talked. I don't know. Hosea had pity. Maybe he prayed to God for her. Maybe he loved her. And God's answer was, look at verse 2. In the beginning of the word of the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord by Hosea, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, he says, and, and the Lord said to Hosea, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. Go take her. Go take you a wife. There's no reason to think that Hosea marched down to the brothel and then uh, proposed to the first girl that the madam introduced him to. Now, of course... I'm saying all this because all the information I have about this I've learned from Gunsmoke or Bonanza, you know, Miss Kitty, you know, what's going to go on, how's going to happen, you know, there's a girl, oh, him. But, uh, <laughs> but the way I read it, he's like, God, God, God didn't tell him what girl to take, so maybe he's already asking. Maybe he's giving permission here. Go take him to the wife of Hordom. It's like, he knows about her, he's been praying for her, he knows who she is. God says, go take her. Maybe that's his, like, oh, you've asked for this? You want to intercede? You want to do this? All right, your man, my man, go take him. Because um, this was supposed to make us think of God the Father, right? That's the whole point in this. That God the Father, the perfect one, choosing an unlikely spouse, right? God picks Israel, somebody who was nothing, somebody who was nobody. He says, I'll make you. You'll, you'll, in, the, in the Old Testament, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. The Old Testament, uh, Israel is called uh, the wife of God you know, in that way. So he's, he's picking them. So God has Israel. Hosea has Gomer. People know who, who, who Hosea is. Obviously, God has put a call upon his life. People are noticing him. People are going to listen. He's the good guy. He's the prophet. Maybe not yet. Because this says this is in the beginning. We're going back. So this is early. This is kind of an origin story. I think that's why he starts here. We're going back. So this is a young man in his 20s. Maybe he chooses this girl because she's pretty. But she's a girl who's pretty who can't wear white on their wedding day. You know? Their marriage is to be a picture for the nation to witness. He is good and faithful and true. She's pretty on the outside. Her song is sad but true. I'm going to tell you about a girl that Hosea knew. She ran around with every guy, the single guy in town. Oh, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Her name's Run Around Sue. I, don't, I can't sing it for you. I was going to sing it, but I get up here, I'm like, I'm not going to sing Run Around Sue. But that's kind of big. that would be her story. I want to tell you about a girl I knew. You know, she was running around with every guy she knew. That, that's her. You know? And then he, he takes her to be a wife. And so I, they're young. Uh, look, look at verse 3. It says, uh, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, which conceived and bare him a son. So we're going way back. That's a 
beginning of their family, so we, we have them. The courtship is, uh, she's a daughter of whoredom, and you're going to marry her. And he's like, okay. And he goes and takes his wife, and they immediately have a kid. And so Gomer means complete. And so uh, I don't think he picked her for the name. Oh, it's a beautiful name. I can't wait to have that on her pillows. I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, um, maybe it was a beautiful name to them back then. Uh, and then her dad is Diblam, which was, means two cakes. So I don't know if he's a baker, you know, like it was the local family in town that way. But I think the thing we need to get out of our head, and the thing that I'm working to do and was working to do is, Hosea is not a dry, dusty, rugged, craggy old prophet. You're going to take you a woman of whoredoms, and he goes down to the place. No, this is a young guy. This is a young couple. You know, they conceive right away. You know, they go down, and it's like, oh, a young couple, happily married. And, oh, they're blessed with a child right away. It's a boy. It's a boy. His name is uh, Jezreel, verse 4. And the Lord said unto, call, said unto him, call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. So Jezreel. Uh, that means God sows. Uh, think of how they would plant. You know, they broadcast. So he would have like a little pouch. You put your hand in the seed and then you throw it out. God sows. He's throwing it out. That which God planted, it means. God it also means scattered. That God is scattered. He's taking it and he's throwing it out. So that's what Jezreel means. It's a name for a child of a wife who isn't faithful. Who's a whore, it says. Jezreel, we're going to say, just means scattered. Because God's going to soon scatter his children. Oh, here's a child. Why don't you name him Scatter? Because I'm going to scatter all you. I'm going to take you out of the land. I'm going to throw you out. I'm going to scatter you all over the place. Matter of fact, the northern kingdom never rejoins. Uh, they don't ever come back together. And so that's lots a lot of people to start talking about, oh, the lost tribes of Israel. You know, the northern tribes, they're all lost. We don't know where they are. No, representatives from every tribe, when the, when the Civil War happens and the, and the country splits to the northern half and the southern half, the faithful of all the tribe who wanted to stay true to Jehovah, they all move south. And there's verses that say that I didn't take time to look them up tonight. But they, they all migrated to Judah uh, after, the first, after they split. And so they're all there, but he disperses the rest of them. He sows them. He casts them out. Um, so Jezreel is the boy's name, but it's also a prophecy. God will scatter, God will sow, God will broadcast you all over the place. It's also the name of a place, um, the Valley of Jezreel. So I'm going to look at a little background, we'll try to get this in real quick. Look at 2 Kings chapter 9, hold your spot here and go to 2 Kings chapter 9. I hate to do this fast, I know Judah. But, uh, first I thought it was you doing a zipper, I'm like, that's a loud zipper, oh that's Judah. Doing his favorite noise. That's <laughs> yeah, Beth. Beth commentary on my preach. I don't know. Second uh, Kings chapter nine. I still think it's hilarious, Judah. Second Kings nine. And verse twenty-four. Just to kind of catch us up, we're catching up at the end of the story of Jehu. Jehu's the crazy driver, the one that you don't really expect, and. We might come back to this but, uh, next week, but look at verse twenty-four. It says, "And Jehu drew a board with his full, or drew a bow with his full length. And he smote Jeroboam or Jehoram, sorry, 
between his arms, and the arrow went out of his heart, and he sunk down in his chariot. Come on, people say the Bible's boring. No, this guy he said he's pulled the bow. He's pulled the bow all the way. It's full length, and he just lets it go. I mean, you're having to arch this shot because this guy's in a chariot booking across the valley, and he hits him, and it comes right through his heart, and it comes back out the other side, and the guy just collapses in his chariot. I got the whole movie in my head. Uh, verse 25. Then said uh, Jehu to Bidkar, the captain, Take up and cast him in the portion of the field, and Naaboth and Jez- the Jezreelite. For remember how that when I, uh, when I and thou rode together after Ahab, the father, his father, uh, the Lord uh, laid his burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will requite in thee this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. So they take him to the valley of Jezreel, the Jezreelites' land. So they take him and they throw him in there. Uh, Jump down to verse 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tied her head and... uh, looked out a window, and Jehu entered into the gate and said, Had Zimri peace, who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? And he looked, uh, and there looked out to him two or, three, uh, two or three eunuchs. And so Jezebel, the bad girl, she's there. He's already taking care of Ahab and others. So now he's tracked her down, and he's like, Hey, you see you already won these battles. And he's like, Anybody up there on my side, or you're all staying in that tower because you're with her, because you're with Jezebel? So he's like, who's on my side? Verse 33, and he said, throw her down. So they threw her down. So, oh, it sounds like the three eunuchs were on his side because they took up Jezebel and they threw her out the tower. They threw her down and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses and he rode her underfoot. So they trample over her. They ride back and forth over the top of her. Verse 34, and when she was come in, he did eat and drink and said, go see now this cursed woman and bury her. For she is a king's daughter. So he's like, I at least have to bury her. And they went out to bury her, and they found no more of her than a skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. So they trampled her really good, and then the animals came in and uh, uh, eaten her. Verse 36. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord which he spake by her servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall the dogs eat of the flesh of Jezebel. So it fulfilled right there, and he wasn't even expecting it. Verse 37, And the carcass of Jezebel shall be a dung upon the face of the field, because that's what happens after the animals eat it, and the portion of the Jezreel, so that they shall not say this is Jezebel. So they spread her over the valley of Jezreel via the animals. And then we get down to chapter 10. Uh, and Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. And Jehu wrote letters and sent to the Samaria and the rulers and Jezreel to the elders and to them uh, that brought up Ahab's children, saying, Now as soon as this letter cometh to you, seeing you master's uh, sons are with you, and they are with you in chariots and horses and fenced city and also in armor, look even out the best and meetest of your master's son and set him on his father's throne and fight for your master's house. So he basically says, pick one, make one your leader, and we'll fight it out. Verse 4. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, behold, two kings stood not before him. How shall we stand? They're like, um, even the boys here are like, he's defeated two kings. You think any of us are going to be able to rise to the top and stand up? And he that was over the house and he that was over the city and the elders also and the bringers up of the children, again, this is their nursemaids, sent to Jehu saying, we are thy servants, and we will do uh, what thou shalt bid us, and will not make any king 
do thou which is good in thine eyes. And then he wrote a letter the second time to them saying, If ye be mine, and if you will hearken unto my voice, take ye the heads of the men of your master's son, and come to me in Jezreel by tomorrow this time. Now the king's son being seventy persons, were with the great men of the city which brought them up. They must have been jerk kids because these guys don't have any time or don't waste any time doing this. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons, slew 70 persons, put their heads in baskets, and sent them, uh, and sent them him them to Jezreel. And there came a messenger and told him, saying, They had brought the heads of the king's son, and he said, Lay them in two heaps in the entering of the gate of the morning. And it shall come to pass in the morning that he went out and he stood and said to all the people, Ye be righteous, behold, I conspired against my master. And slew him, but who slew all, slew all these? So he's basically, you are conspirators with me in this. Verse 10. Know thou that you shall fall on the earth, nothing of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spake concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done that which he spake by his servant uh, Elijah. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, and all the great men and his kinsfolks and his priests, until he left him none remaining. Um, jump over to verse 17. It says, and when he came to Samaria, this is still the exploits of Jehu, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them, according to the saying of the word which came, uh, which, which spake to Elijah. And Jehu, he, for time's sake, I want to condense this. So Jehu collects and he says, hey, I want to honor all the prophets of Baal, because they brought in, Je- Ahab and Jezebel brought in Baal worship. I'm going to gather, gather them up and Bring them all in, and we're going to have a big party. We're going to put them in fine clothes. We have all this, and we're going to have a big worship service, and we're going to convert everybody over to Baal. This is going to be great. And they're all like, well, maybe Jehu's not too bad. You know, so they all show up, and they all put on their fancy garments, and then they all come together. They have this big feast, and they, they do the sacrifice. And as they come out, they kill them all. Um, so verse 25. Uh, and it came to pass, as soon as they had made an end of the offerings and the burnt offering, that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, Go in and slay them. Let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword, and the guard and the captains, and cast them out, and went to the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal, and burned them. And they break down the image of Baal, and break down the house of Baal, and made it a draught uh, house unto this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. And so he doesn't do too bad. Um, and then if you get to like, um, at the end, verse 35, And Jehu slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Jehoaz, his son, reigned in his stead. And then that was the time he reigned over them, it was 28 years. Now jump over to chapter um, 15. And verse 8. Uh, I might have condensed this, but we went over a verse where God promised because he'd done this, that he was going to bless him for four generations, Jehu. So now we're at the end of those four generations here in chapter 15, verse 8. In the 30 and the 8th year, uh, Azariah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jehoroban, reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to, to sin. 
And Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and smote him before the people and slew him and reigned in his stead. And the rest of the acts of Zechariah, behold, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Israel? This was the word of the Lord which he spake unto Jehu, saying, Thy son shall sit on the throne of Israel unto the fourth generation, and it has so come to pass. Now, the last I have only ruled for six months, um, but they all killed him, and now the northern kingdom's being destroyed. But if you go back to Hosea, verse, chapter 1, verse 4, and it says, And the Lord said, uh, said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezebel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease uh, the kingdom of the house of Israel. And so there's still payment for actions that are made. Verse 5, It shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now the bow was the symbol of power, you know, it's an instrument of war, and breaking it means that they'd lost their power and strength. And so that's all about to happen. He's about to scatter all the people, and that's all about to be done. And he has a couple other kids, and their names mean something too, but we'll jump into that and not be quite so rushed next week. Uh, because God is like giving these kids' names prophecies about things that are going to happen and things that do happen, fulfilling things in the past and things in the future because of their rebellion and their idolatry by going after uh, idols. And so um, he's using his family as a picture and their kids as a picture. And we'll look at that last next week as we talk about how when he calls out to them, you know, that He's basically proclaiming a message, you know, Jezreel, we're going to scatter you, we're going to throw you out. And so he's proclaiming the message every time his children are around and, and people begin to put two and two together. And so we'll pick that up next week. I uh, appreciate you being here. Uh,